Hi, everyone. Welcome to Refine and Grow with Justin and Lindsay. My name is Lindsay Allen. And my name is Justin Ewan. And this is your podcast for proven strategies on navigating and managing work life. Okay. Well, folks, today we're excited to have Estelle Reed joining us on the podcast. Estelle is an executive coach, speaker, trainer, and author of Amazon bestseller, Inner Brilliance, Outer Shine, 10 Antidotes to Imposter Syndrome, Workaholism, and Stress. She has been in the HR profession for over 30 years and worked with over 10,000 people. Her clients include JP Morgan, NFU Mutual, The Law Society, Fisher German, Toyota, and Adams Foods. Estelle is a qualified coach and chartered fellow of the CIPD and is passionate about helping clients become the best versions of themselves. She runs a variety of leadership development and personal effectiveness workshops, as well as her flagship Shine coaching program, which tackles imposter syndrome, workaholism, and stress. Estelle describes her style as being supportive, challenging, tenacious, practical, passionate, and fun. So Estelle, really thrilled to have you on the call today. I'd love if you just gave a little bit of your own personal intro in addition to what we've just shared today. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into this line of work, and kind of what drives you, what fuels you. Yes, sure. Thank you so much for inviting me. So I come from an HR background. At the time, I was working for a law firm in Derby, and I fell into coaching like a lot of coaches do. And it was at that point, my boss said, do you realize you're coaching me, dear? And I thought, oh, right. Okay. I better go off and get qualified. So that's what I did. I'd always been a hard worker and I would describe myself as currently a recovered workaholic. Back then I was definitely a workaholic, but over the years I had been slowly eating away at my own health Working hard became the antidote to not feeling enough, which is what I really help my clients with. And so much so that when I had my daughter, I ended up contracting ME. There were complications when I had my daughter and I got a bacterial infection and ended up being threatened with a lifetime in a wheelchair or in bed. That's what the doctor said. So I'd signed up to a clinic to recover and they gave me all sorts of advice about I've got to change my diet. I'd really got to lead a new life. And all I kept thinking was, I don't want a new life. I want to stay as I am and resisted all of their advice for probably about 18 months, if I'm completely honest. I took myself off to the spa for a day. I thought that'll do it, but it didn't. And I really had to change my ways. And the motivation behind that was my daughter. And I remember seeing my husband and daughter dancing in the living room and I couldn't join in because I didn't have enough energy. That was the kind of the start of my recovery, but also the redirection of my business, which I set till once I'd left the law firm. And yeah, I've never really looked back since. Tell us about the book, Inner Brilliance, Outer Shine. What are the key messages for your audience there? Yeah, sure. So I work with people that are already brilliant. They don't necessarily recognize how brilliant they are. I sit and I look at them and I think, you really are wonderful. And yet there's this disconnect between their success. So they're often CEOs, partners, so senior leaders, but I also work at the other end of the spectrum. So I will work with junior managers as well. And 
with imposter syndrome, so 70% of people will suffer with it at some stage. So typically either with a promotion or it can just be very kind of pervasive and in the background. And when I thought about writing the book, I'd noticed certain trends with my clients. So brilliant people, but underneath all of that, they've got this self-doubt. Now, it's not actually a syndrome, it's an imposter syndrome, but it's a phrase that was coined back in the 70s by two doctors, Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes. And at first they thought it affected just women, but what they've discovered since is that it affects men and women equally. And typically people with imposter syndrome, they'll think they're a fraud, a phony. They're waiting for that tap on the shoulder. They're waiting to be found out. And they think that others mistakenly think they're better than they actually are. And all of this, what it tends to drive, and there are five different types of imposter syndrome, but the common theme throughout all of them is that there's this proving theme. And again, the trend I noticed with my clients is that the proving then led to people having too much to do because they were good eggs, they put the hand up, they were always the first person in the meeting to volunteer for projects. And then that having too much to do would then mean that they'd be working longer hours. So working longer hours becomes the solution, which then leads to workaholism and then ultimately stress which is where I ended up as well and what I recovered from. And my recovery became my passion to work with other clients, but also to then document that process in my book. Where do you think that that imposter syndrome stems from for people? Is it just a desire to be seen as being great at your job that spirals out of control? Or how do you think that sort of comes to be for people, particularly in the workplace? So with my clients, 90% of them use a technique called havening because the source of their issue is in childhood. So never feeling enough for me personally, how that worked. I've got undiagnosed learning difficulties. I don't know what they are, but we have dyspraxia, dyscalculia and dyslexia in our family. There were lots of experiences at school where I felt different, like I didn't belong. This is a bit of a British term. I sat on the thick table, as a UK comedian calls it. And I can remember just feeling really different and not enough. And so often when I'm working with clients, it's exactly the same. There'll be those seeds that were sown in the childhood and you try and think your way around some of those limiting beliefs. It can be hard. And so what we do is we cheat change by using, as I say, this technique called havening, which just, it's like a magic eraser and it gets rid of those events at an unconscious level. And then what I typically tend to find is that clients will say to me, in fact, there was a guy I was working with the other week and he said to me, I've just had a million pound conversation. I said, what do you mean? And he had spent his whole life proving that he was enough. He'd got too much work on his plate. He said, I've been avoiding having a conversation with a colleague for years. And this was because I was concerned about his reaction. I thought he would reject me by me challenging and over this issue. And since having done the havening works, so I got rid of the stuff in childhood. He said, I just had my meeting. The stuff came out of my mouth without even thinking. And again, so that's the typical thing that clients will say is that they just are different. And that is all part of the process in the book. 
I was just going to say part of my journey of becoming my best self has been to go to therapy. And the way that I've learned about some of what you're talking about is through the term codependency, being able to set boundaries and not overhelping or over-volunteering. And so that's something that I've always struggled with. And, and Justin has been one of my mentors. And I think what he was really teaching me when I look back is how to have strong boundaries and understand what you're responsible for, but more importantly, what you are not responsible for. And one tip that helped me change my mindset was that I started to think about not doing everything for everyone as a way to help them because then they can learn for themselves and make their own mistakes. It's not my job to dive in and save everyone. And that is so true, Linz, you know, and we're referring to something called the Cartman drama triangle where we have rescuer, persecutor, and then victim. And, you know, that was definitely where I came from. I was definitely the rescuer, particularly as a trainer, as a coach, and learning to sit back and exactly as you say in fact I've done a vlog on it just recently about don't rescue people allow people to learn those things for themselves but yeah it's a really interesting habit to kick and part of my shine process so n stands for non-negotiables and it's all about your time boundaries but also your people boundaries and I talk about in my book not filling the responsibility gaps. And I talk a lot about good eggs, you know, how they'll see a gap. And as I say, during a meeting, they'll be the first one to put the hand up. But I also think it extends into family life as well. Estella, I'm interested because so much of that, I've heard it as kind of family of origin work. It feels like a combination of coaching, but I agree with you that coaching realm from the work I do professionally at the corporate level, at the organizational level, so much of it starts to bleed into therapy in some respects. So I wonder how you navigate those conversations where it's a coaching conversation, but really it's a therapy conversation and to really get to the root cause of the performance challenge, whatever that performance challenge might be, it really is doing that deeper inner work. So I wonder how you balance that therapy versus coaching. You see, I would describe myself as a therapeutic coach. So when I train other people to be coaches, I will always say, look, I don't expect you to do this past work that I'm doing. That's what I do in my role. And I remember when I trained as a coach, I was trained by somebody who'd moved from therapy to coaching. And we were very clear to define the differences between that. And I got quite hung up about it that, oh, you know, I can't do this past stuff. And of course, I've done hypnotherapy, NLP practitioner, master practitioner, trainer, which again, all the time is dipping into therapeutic techniques. And then when I eventually found havening, which, you know, one of the techniques we use is event havening, and it's all about your childhood, I gave in and I just said, do you know what, this is the sort of work that I do. And when I work with my clients, sometimes I've got my coach's hat on, we're doing pure elicitation, we're looking at a strategic plan. Other times I've got my mentor's hat on where I'm giving input, Quite early on in my coaching career, so when I was working for the law firm and I trained as a coach, I got quite frustrated early on because we'd have a nice conversation, the client would come back the following months having not achieved a lot. And it was because this inner stuff was getting in the way of the outer result. I'm also quite an impatient person and I like to see results. And so that was when I started adding on all these other therapeutic techniques. And so... When I'm working with clients, when they come for their intake, I don't say, look, hey, do you want to do some therapy with me? What I will do is I'll say, hey, look, we've got two routes 
two ways in which we can handle this. We can go down this route, which involves using havening and this is how it works and these are the sorts of results you can get. And then once we've done the inner work, then we can divert to the coaching piece because they've got rid of those inner blocks. And to be honest, I've tried it various way rounds. So in other words, I might start out with some coaching and then top it up with some havening. But to be honest, it's far better to do the inner work first, get that out of the way, and then we can focus on the coaching piece. So So I really appreciate the depth of the answer. Even as a a people manager, I have found so often that some of the challenges with folks that I'm working with, including myself, I include myself in that bucket. So many of the challenges and issues that we face have really nothing to do with the actual performance of the job, but it's kind of the beliefs and the feelings that we bring into the job and how we execute. Estelle, I was going to ask you, before we started recording, you and I were debriefing a little bit on the audience that tunes into the podcast. And I was saying it's kind of a wide range because we do have people who are 20 plus years into their career in an executive position. We also have students who are getting their master's degree in business, getting ready to enter the workforce. And so I'm wondering, what would your advice be? And this was kind of a two-part question to that corporate executive, somebody 20 plus years into their career who is struggling with this imposter syndrome, what would be kind of the first step that you would say to help them take a step back? Also, what would your advice be to somebody who's getting ready to enter the workforce to proactively avoid putting themselves in that situation? Well, interestingly, the answer is the same for both. I said I work at, you know, both ends of the spectrum. Take, for example, at the minute, I've got somebody who is in their late 20s. They are just starting out in their particular career, but they've come to me because they're absolutely stressed out to the eyeballs to the extent where they can't enjoy holidays or anything like that versus somebody who is towards the end of the career, but also equally really successful. And The issue in terms of the very first step for both of them is to raise awareness of what's happening right now. So, you know, it's like with any change you want to make, we have to do some form of assessment, don't we? Whether it's, you know, running a four minute mile or, you know, or losing weight or whatever else, we always take a measurement. So the first step in my shine process is S for self-assessment. So we do an imposter syndrome assessment. We look at the five different types. We do a stress assessment and we also do a workaholism assessment. And then based on that, you say, right, okay, this is what's happening right now. What do I actually want to head towards? What's my position B? So that's classic coaching, isn't it? What's happening now, position A? Position B, what do you want instead? And to work that out. And then the coaching piece is how do I get from A to B? And to then put an action plan together. Otherwise, what's the point if we don't, you know, take those steps to go from A to B? We get stuck in what I refer to in my book as Grand Update, Rinse and Repeat. Well, I was reading a little bit about your biography and how you were saying you didn't know that you were in this super stressed mode because you hadn't really ever experienced not being stressed, being at peace, right? And I imagine you come across clients like that as well. So how does your advice differ with them if it does? Or how do you manage when you don't even realize that you're in that overworked, super stressed mode and you don't know anything else? Yeah. And that's where the self-assessments come in, the questionnaires, because often people will come to me and they'll say, well, I'm not workaholic. We don't like to admit to 
any holism, do we, you know, ism, but actually there's scientifically based assessment that you can do. So as part of that assessment, you can work out whether actually you are a workaholic. So take, for example, from a stress perspective. So you referred to my personal experience. I can remember going for a facial and the beautician said to me, oh, are you stressed right now? And I said, no, no. She said, oh, well, it's just that your skin is telling a different story. You know, you've got all these. And I was like, well, it's always like this, do you know what I mean? Because I didn't know any other way. But, you know, one of the reasons I wrote my book is that I don't want people to end up where I ended up, which was to push myself right to the very limits before I realized it was too late. So I will always have ME and I've recovered from it. But if I don't behave myself, then I will have you know, I will go backwards, you know, and it will affect my energy. So I never want clients to get to that extent. Hence why we have to raise our awareness of what's going on. You know, again, in the book, I talk about being the captain of your ship. So we talk about being a brave captain. So you imagine a captain on a ship, the captain has information that's coming into it on the bridge. The bridge is where we receive lots of information. But I think about, for example, even my own mom, she's not very well at the moment, she's had a stroke. And I was saying to her the other day that, you know, the more you can raise awareness of how you are in that moment. So take, for example, your emotional state, because she's been learning breathing techniques. She can see that actually her heartbeat is coming around. So that's a piece of information in on her bridge and rather than using a sticking plaster. So I think sometimes we're very quick, aren't we, to think, oh, well, I'll just, for example, pop an antacid as opposed to one of my beliefs is, well, actually, why don't we understand why you're getting heartburn in the first place? So again, that's information coming in on your bridge. And if you think about all your senses, what am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I feeling in my body? What am I tasting? What am I smelling? And all of that is information coming on your bridge. And to observe that, And then as the captain of your ship to decide actually what we're going to do with that information rather than, because I think we spend a lot of time pushing information down. We're too busy. We're too busy doing, aren't we? And again, that's what I want to try and prevent with my book is that people don't get right to the edge like I did, that they are self-aware enough to know what's going on and then to be able to take action. And it might help if I explain. So SHINE stands for S is self-awareness, H is havening. That's the technique. So you clear up the triggers that are causing the emotions, the beliefs, and the behaviors. So you get rid of the trigger. I is your inner captain. So we all have an inner critic. They reckon 80% of our thoughts are negative and 95% are exactly the same as the day before, Groundhog Day. N is for your non-negotiables. That's the boundaries piece. And then the E is for enable. So having done all of that work, you know, to come back to one of your terms, work-life health, we need to enable joy, hobbies, diet, so healthy diet, rest, relaxation. And all of that, if we tick all of those boxes, then that is what enables us to shine fully as a human being, or that's my methodology anyway. Talk to me a little bit about how you kind of set up and engage with your clients? What's the situation look like in which you're kind of brought in and start to engage with an initial client? If we think about just that situation that introduces the opportunity for you to engage, I'd love to learn a little bit more what that opportunity looks like for you and what that initial conversation looks like. 
So as a, an ex-HR, well, I'm still an HR professional, but an ex-head of HR. So a lot of people in my network are HR professionals. And, and interestingly, the HR industry suffers with imposter syndrome. You know, it's like, why are the numbers people valued around the boardroom table and not the people people? And we naturally have a lot in common. So I work a lot with HR directors and Often I will coach them first. So I, again, I'm not going to say, hey, come to me and we'll do some therapy slash coaching. They'll come to me with any of the issues that I've discussed today. And then typically what happens once they get that process that, so some of them call me the white witch. We've got this unusual woman with an open mind. And once they get that process, they then typically, when they've got employees at flight risk, so I get a lot of employees that are at flight risk, often because they're overly stressed, often because they're anxious, but I'll also get people that are going through that career development that referred to earlier. So, you know, imposter syndrome has been triggered as a result of a promotion or something like that. And then in terms of the intake, again, I will share with them, look, hey, there's two ways in which we can work. Which route do you want to take? And 90% of my clients say, hey, can we try cheating first? Havening involves touch. So you rub your hands, you can rub shoulder to elbow or your face. In the olden days, I used to physically do that to the clients. Don't need to do that anymore. They've discovered you can do it yourself. Yeah, it used to be quite interesting. Some clients would go, yes, thank you very much. That's very interesting. But then they couldn't argue with the results and they'd be like, can we have some more of that unusual touch technique? So that's it. We slide into it. I don't go around going, hey, do you want to come for some havening? We talk about their pain and havening is just a solution to their pain. I think we Americans have this image of the stiff upper lip, but you know, Americans are so aware of their personal space and not wanting that space being breached. I have a feeling that our British counterparts are very much like that. So I, I imagine it's a very disarming procedure or technique. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the technique is designed by a brilliant American doctor, a guy called Dr. Ron Rood, and he's a GP medic neuroscientist in Manhattan. In fact, he wrote the foreword for my book. An amazing genius. Him and his brother, um, Stephen Rudin, co-developed it. And when, yeah, so when we trained, they train you to sit opposite with your knees outside somebody else's knees. So, and you're literally stroking the shoulders and you know, to make it feel more professional, I bought myself some gloves. I'm wincing now. And now it's great. We can just all self-haven. Well, I know touch is a significant part of just connection and bonding. And I know there's been so much research around the ability for the infant, the child to connect with their mother, and even the connection between father and child, even later in life. I know touch is a really integral part of that. Just being a well-connected, well-formed human being and that a lack of touch actually early in life can be really disruptive and even damaging later in life. So it makes a lot of sense. Well, I really appreciate having you on to not only explore kind of the deeper connection between, I think, the work we always dance around, which is a bit of the therapeutic along with the organizational and in your case with the coaching, but also just to explore the family of origin, that historical element, what we bring into our professional life and how so much of our professional life is really influenced by so much of our personal background, not only in the moment, but even our formation in our childhood. 
So I really appreciate the insights and love hearing about how you integrate or intersect, you know, those different worlds of kind of consulting, coaching, and therapy. So thank you so much for your time. And I think this is be a great resource for many of our listeners and a, really an alternative, and I say that in the best sense, an alternative approach to so much of our professional engagement. So thank you. No, you're welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. Really enjoyed it. Estelle, can you tell us where people can get more information about your book and your coaching services? Yeah, sure. There's just one link. It's my link tree link. You can get my book. You can download actually a summary of my book, which is a workbook, all the activities. There's loads of free resources on there. I've got 50 tips as well on there at the minute to reduce stress, anxiety and grow confidence. And the link is linktree. So it's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash Estelle, which is E-S-T-E-L-L-E, and then the word at A-T, and then B, spelt with three E's. So linktree forward slash Estelle at B. Thank you, Estelle. It was great having you. No, thank you for having me. That's all for today's episode. To order your copy of the book, Refine and Grow, Lessons Learned on Navigating the Business World and Access Additional Resources, head out to our website at refineandgrow.com. And tune in next week for an all new episode. Thanks for listening.